This is The Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 990. I'm speaking with Greg McEwen, and we're discussing his books, Essentialism and Effortless. Please enjoy. Greg, welcome to The Hidden Wire Podcast. So great to have you here today. Lee, it's a pleasure. Cheers. Mate, uh, new book out, Effortless. Uh, Your first book, Essentialism. Absolutely loved it, and perhaps we can start there, because I think there may be a little bit of a crossover, huh? Yes, I think that's right. Essentialism is about, in one word, is prioritization. You know, it's figuring out what's essential and eliminating everything that's not yeah. uh, effortless. Effortless, in one word, is simplification. And it's really how to make those essential things as easy or effortless as possible. So it's sort of the stepping stone to effortless from essentialism. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that they are standalone. Uh, and that became more obvious to me as I continued the research for effortless. Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't want uh, their life to be a little more effortless today, a little easier tomorrow, uh, especially the things that matter most to us. And so it's been I've enjoyed watching people discover uh, these ideas from that perspective as well. But I think they're I think they're a little bit like Paul McCartney and John Lennon. You know, it's like the music. They made it, you know, they had music separately, but it was where they played together that the magic happened yeah. uh, in the Beatles. So, so hopefully these two books sort of work together in a, that's a bit of a presumptuous example, but otherwise, um, you know, a good way. Yeah, well, look, I thoroughly enjoyed Essentialism. I read it um, a few years back, I guess, when it was um, perhaps launched. And it was around the time of this sort of minimalism movement. Um, it seemed to be a bit of a trend there. Is that about the time it, it sort of came? Yours was a bit before that, actually, um, I think, before the minimalist movement. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been interesting because I didn't get to essentialism through minimal, minimalism. Hmm. Uh, I was working with Silicon Valley companies and just noticed a predictable pattern that uh, in the early days, these ventures um, would, would find clarity and that clarity would lead to success and the success breeded options and opportunities, which all sounds like the right problem to have. Uh, but, but it did turn out to be a problem if it led to the undisciplined pursuit of more. And so I was really trying to understand uh, the antidote to that problem. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and essentialism was, was the antidote. That was the kind of leadership you needed to become successful at success. Hmm. Uh, and so that was just my attempt to try and put a word on it. You know, the essentialist leaders are the kind that, that you know, they, they remove the non-essentials. They get rid of even good options before they have to. Uh, and so, it, you know, it, 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 was, it was actually quite intriguing to me to watch when the book came out. Uh, you know, so many people saying, oh, well, this is part of minimalism. And it was like, oh, I'm not... I'm, they're not wrong, uh, but it just wasn't the journey that uh, that led to to the naming of the phenomenon and you know what I was observing. No, well, that's interesting. And I was going to ask you about you know what what made you write the book because often it's a it's an internal pursuit, isn't it? To to try and like in this instance, for example, is is become more um, organised and, and prioritised in life. Um, but for you, it was an external observation that made you write the book. By the sounds of it, yeah, it started off as an observation. Um, in business, hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't a, a business question I was trying to answer in essentialism. It was a human question. So hmm. it it was, um, you know, that in addition to watching this external thing, there was an internal 
um, experience that, 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 that I had at the same time. And it was those combination experiences that made me go, yeah, I've got to get into this. And that experience was when I got an email from uh, my manager at the time that said, look, Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby because um, <laughs> I need you to be at this client meeting. Between, you know, and, and maybe it was just joking around, but I still felt some pressure from it. And there I was Friday morning. We were in the hospital. Uh, our daughter had just been born. And I'm feeling torn you know how do I keep everyone happy I've got my laptop open my phone open and I'm I'm how can I do both and to my shame I did go to the client meeting and even afterwards I remember my manager saying oh the client will respect you for the choice you just made uh, and I'm not sure that That's terrible to think that they sure would respect that, you for that choice yeah I don't think that they I don't think the look on their faces did evince that sort of respect um, but but even if they had it's obvious uh, and it was obvious in hindsight that I'd made a fool's bargain. And what I learned was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that was sort of the, the birth of essentialism in, in, on the personal realm. Right. And it was that combination of Silicon Valley companies plus the personal experience that together I said, okay, we've just got to understand this better. Why do we, why do we prioritize the way we do? Why do we violate what's essential for what's not essential? Uh, and it set me off on this journey uh, that has been, you know, has been so impactful yeah. um, for, for me anyway. No, I really, um, yeah, really love, I love this topic and I love the idea of it because in my experience, but even looking around me, people are seeming to, they're working hard, they're working longer hours, they're stretched too thin, um, you know, and you look at what they do in their day and you sort of go, well, you're doing all these hours and this extra work, but is it actually producing any greater results and is it producing greater results in the areas of life that matter? And and I guess that's where I sort of came to a point where I was, you know, even in my career, just adding things on, just always putting more things into the system without even reviewing it, reflecting on it and understanding why it's there. Um, and it didn't change the results, but I just become accustomed to doing it and I became burnt out, you know, stressed. Um, so it's interesting that, um, and, and that's a very common in this day and age. Yes, and and that's something right there that I really tried to take a, a double click on with with the new book with Effortless is is I was observing that that sometimes even when people discovered essentialism, the way they would go about applying it was was a bit counterproductive, where people would say, okay, well I have to now. I've got to try and essentialize everything. And, and, and they went at it in, in a quite an extreme way. Hmm. And, and I realized, well, there's an, it's not just essential versus not essential. That's a really important lens. I, I completely subscribe to that, but it's, it's also, it's also just a certain approach to life. Um, how do you, it's not just do the right thing It's are you doing it in the right way? Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of overachievers. Um, let's call it part of the hit squad, uh, the hardworking. In- yeah, the hardworking, intelligent, talented group. <laughs> yeah, H I T. Right, that, that that group that really whatever they pick up, they think, well, I've got to do this 110. percent I've got to put everything I possibly can into it, and and it's. 
it's a strategy that I believe in giving all you can and going big, it, of course, giving a lot of effort. That makes sense if, you, if you're not putting any effort in, put a lot of effort in. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. But there's a point for a certain group of the population where they're already doing that. So if you just try to go even harder, you just end up being more burned out, mm. not getting better results. And, and so... In one sense, everything I'm writing about in Effortless is a bit dangerous. If you, if you, if the wrong person reads it, so to speak, takes it the wrong the way. People, hmm. Yeah, if the people, if the people I'm writing it for, um, it, it's it's for these high achievers. Hmm. It's really like timely message because most people in the Hit Squad want 10x results, but none of them can work 10x harder. Yeah. And that's why you have to suddenly open yourself up to this and, and to say, well, look, easy isn't the same as lazy. No. You know, it, it, easy is something doesn't require great effort. Lazy is I'm not willing to put in effort. Well, well fine. I mean, if, if somebody's being lazy, fine. There's lots of books written for people in that category, let's say. But in order to but, – but for the people I'm writing for mm. – uh, this is so important to discover that there is a good and virtuous path that says, let's find a smarter, better, easier approach so that we can accomplish, you know, the next level of contribution, but without burning out. And that group, I think, has grown over the last year and a half through the pandemic. There's a lot of people who know, I think, what I'm talking about right now. Yeah. They're already highly engaged, but they're on the edge of exhaustion. Yeah. You know, they're running faster than they ever have, but they're not getting closer to their goals. And so, uh, and so to, to, if, you, if you just get that group in that one paradigm, well, harder work will get me better results. Actually, what it will do is it will wreck your marriage. It will wreck your relationships. It's going to wreck your, your chances of success. It's, it's, it's a strategy that can only go so far. Mm. But there is this alternative where you say, well, how can this be more, how can it be effortless? How can it be easier? What strategy might that look like? Uh, and this, this, is, this has an almost, almost limitless potential uh, where effort has a, has a certain point, a certain ceiling to what can be done. Yeah, just sleep comes to mind for me and, and this idea that was sort of trendy, I guess, and maybe still is, I don't know, but um, you know, I'll, I'll sleep less and then I can fit in more time and, and do that extra work. Um, but we know that if you have, you know, the right amount of sleep, whether that's seven to nine hours, whatever it is, you're actually going to be more productive. And, and it's probably aligned with what you're talking about here being effortless. You know, it's not about working harder. It's about, I guess, working smarter. Well, sleep specifically, the, the you know, the, if, you, if you're in the first mindset, um, if, you're, if you're that sort of paradigm that just you, just more is better, then your argument will look like, one hour, one hour less sleep will equal one hour more productivity. Um, and, and of course, I suppose for one day, for one hour, that seemed, you know, you, that maybe a be week. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but it's not, a, it's, it's, you're just, you know, you, you're just violating a deeper principle that will catch up with you. Uh, and you start to get to diminishing returns because you're so exhausted and then you move to even negative returns. Mm. Uh, and and one of the complications with this is one of the more interesting pieces of research that, that I came across in writing Effortless was that as people approach burnout, 
they're the they're the last ones to know about it. So so because the nature of sleep deprivation, for example, is that you you know your brain gets foggy, you, you're not able to see so clearly in your decision making, uh, and and that includes your self awareness. Right. So that the more tired people become, the less likely they are to know about it. Mm. And to, to the extent that I I almost feel this now, which is that is that there's sort of two types of people in the world right now. There are people who are burned out and then there are people who know they are burned out. And, and so you sort of, it's an accomplishment almost to get into the second category where you just know it and admit it and then start to say, okay, well then. How can I fix I, this? Hmm. Yeah. And I'm not going to try and fix it by working even longer hours and pushing even more. I'm going to actually find a way that says, well, how do I create some boundaries? How do I make sure I do get rest? Maybe I take a nap every day. Naps can, um, naps can produce as much um, learning uh, improvement, like uh, acceleration in, in, in mental uh, ability as a whole night of sleep under some circumstances. There's incredibly elite, uh, you know, helpful um use of time uh, for high performers and yet people people in this sort of old way of thinking would, would, would imagine exactly the opposite oh well taking a nap that's just for kids that's sort of lazy hmm. it's like no actually the elite performers across industries are the ones who are actually getting that nap in hmm. uh, top performers according to anders erickson's study uh, sleep on average eight and a half hours over every 24-hour period. At least 8.4 is the is, is what he found, and that meant they didn't just sleep more at night. They actually took more naps as well. So it wasn't just that top performers spent more hours focused on a particular task, which they did. Uh, they were also more rested when they were doing it. So they were getting more out of right. the focused energy that we're putting in. So top performers simply do sleep more. They do rest more. Yeah. The, the evidence is very strong for that. It's just that there's this old mindset. I, I always think about it like bloodletting. You know, the medical industry for, for, for the longest time believed bloodletting was good for the patient. Actually, most of the time it was killing them yeah. uh, as they kept on doing it because the paradigm was so strong. Similarly now for this kind of, um, you know, no pain, no gain exhaustion type uh, approach mm. uh, it, it isn't it, it doesn't work it is not actually what high performers do it isn't uh, but the but the paradigm lives on for 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 quite a while past its usefulness mm. uh, we have to educate ourselves out of it and break through uh, not just to get the knowledge the knowledge already exists but to get it broad enough that it becomes the cultural norm and we stop telling these heroic stories uh, that, that that are actually you know counterproductive uh, for what high performers really do. Yeah, and that that whole sleep piece and, and high performance because I know if I'm, if I'm lacking sleep, I make poorer choices. Um, you know, in work and personal life. Well, that's exactly what happens. Is that is that it attacks our discernment, and so we need to protect the asset. In a sense, it's our highest priority is mm. to protect the asset ourselves because we're the only vehicle through which we can make any other contribution, and we're also the only vehicle through which we can make any decisions. And uh, and so, protecting our ability to prioritize, 
is our highest priority. Hmm. Uh, and and it's, 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 of course, it's not selfish. Um, it's 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 just simple wisdom. It's common sense, really. Uh, but in a culture that celebrates sometimes 24-7 grind, you know, hustle culture, you know, that, that's beyond work is good. That's saying if you're not exhausted, you're not doing enough. Hmm. Take, take, for example, somebody I was coaching. Uh, she's a manager at a university. And um, she's the kind of person who's up till four in the morning photoshopping for her for her youth group at church the next day. Uh, why? Because she believes that, you know, if she's not absolutely on the edge of burnout, she must not be doing enough. Uh, she's the kind of person who, if she isn't eating lunch, feels guilty. Uh, and and so I, I gave her a challenge. I said, look, you've got to invert this because it doesn't matter how much you believe it. Uh, it doesn't make it true. It doesn't mean your your performance will be better for this kind of approach. That's an old paradigm, your bloodletting, right? So let's invert. And the fastest way to invert is to ask a different question. Hmm. And the question I gave to her, the simple intervention is, is just the next time someone asks you to do something, you just say, okay, how can I make this easy? Uh, instead of how can I do everything I can possibly do to amaze them and wow them, right? Like just how can I make this easy? Hmm. And so she gets a call from the university uh, professor um, uh, and who says, look, I'd, I'd like you to get your videography team to come and, you know, to video my class for the semester. Uh, well, she almost jumped, you know, into the old mindset. Um, you know, yeah, we could get a whole team there. We could have multiple cameras, different angles. We'll edit it all together, have music, graphics, intros, outros, slides. I mean, she's just ready to do all that because she knows that modality of execution. Yeah. But in the end, she pauses. She says, okay, hold on. Is there an easy way to do this? What's the easiest solution? And as she's exploring that with the professor, it turns out it's for one student who's going to miss uh, a few sessions because of an athletic commitment but still needs the class to graduate. And uh, and, and they come up with a solution together that, well, what, what if you just had another student record it on an iPhone and send those, you know, that session to him whenever he misses. The presser hadn't thought about that because he was overcomplicating too. Hmm. But he's delighted with that outcome. And so within 10 minutes of the, the, you know, it's a 10 minute phone call, he's happy. And she's saved four months for an entire team that she's responsible for. <laughs> the hell. For the sake of a single question. But that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it, there's a lot like that going on. It's, I know yeah. that's like a n equals one it's one story but but actually there's more of that available to people uh, than is obvious and so if they can just invert by asking that question hmm. it can reveal surprising answers and i think that's that's the that's the key to most of it isn't it just that that time to to pause and ask questions and reflect and, and we don't well definitely now we just don't give ourselves that that chance and you look at technology, yes, it's helped us in many ways, but I see it constantly now because I'm quite aware of it myself, so I guess I see other people doing it. As soon as there's a ping, um, you know, it makes people <laughs> jump. And, and I saw it yesterday, and I don't want to throw my wife under the bus, but she was walking towards the bedroom to maybe brush her teeth or something, and a ping went off. Now, I keep my phone on silent so I don't get distracted. And, and I saw her, as soon as that ping went off, she turned around straight away and, and almost went faster back to her phone like it was in a state of emergency. And just that sort of 
culture is inbred in us now. It's 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 definitely a part of it. But that's the new sort of culture that's been built. And now I look at the old culture, the guilt part. You know, I, I look at myself when I suddenly have a little bit of time and I, and I maybe finish at three o'clock instead of working until seven and, and I feel guilty. Oh, I should be working, you know. What, what am I doing? How can I get away with this? Um, and that's a part of me that I don't know where it's obviously cultural that's come through um, and it's really hard to invert. Yeah, well, I think it's um... – I think it's, I mean, there's a few places to go with that. But if, if you're at a restaurant and you hear that ping, everybody in the restaurant turns to their phones. Oh, is that mine? Oh, I got to, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, it, yes, we're, we're, we're like Pavlov's dogs. We've absolutely been trained. You know, this, this could be, this could be essential. This could be vital. This could be, you know, and most of the time it's, it, you know, it's, it's not, but we never know when it is or when it isn't. And so you feel very chained. Hmm. Um, I, I've made a point. Yeah, recently, because I found myself getting into that 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 feeling, um, th- just to leave the phone. You know, like you don't have to have the phone. Go go to lunch without it. Uh, just just give you give your phone a break for a little while. Mm. Um, uh, vacation. How, how many times do you have people on vacations? Uh, still with their phones, still locked in, still responding. Oh, I'm going to be gone for two days. And then if you send them an email or something, and suddenly they respond within two minutes. You know, there is some 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 pool somewhere. Uh, they're supposed to be unplugged, but they're just still locked in. They're still still connected. And, and, and it, it does feel like, to me at least, that the, the whatever boundaries used to exist have just slowly been eaten away. It's sort of a corporatism. Mm. Uh, has taken over more and more of our life, a sort of corporate set of values and cultures. And it hasn't got, like, I don't even particularly like the phrase work-life balance because it's like, how rare is it that it's like, oh, yeah, too much life going on, not enough work. Mm. Like, that's not, so it's, it's called a balance doesn't feel like it names the real problem. It's just like having a boundary. It means, it, what we mean is having a life. It's being able to leave it, being able to stop. And before the pandemic, generally people were, there was a commute that divided work from home. There was a physicality of location. Yeah, true. But, but after the pandemic, that final sort of thread of separation was gone and the corporate life moved more and more into our uh, into our lives. And so people, you know, literally Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat type lifestyle hmm. and it gets to the end of the day and they you know well what is the end it's five six seven eight nine ten it keeps going there's no natural end people don't even know what day it is uh, look at the look at the fitbit where they're going to bed it's 300 steps they haven't moved i mean this is a this is a certain lifestyle and and strangely one that could have been so different I mean, I, somebody once said to me, they said, the, they tell you, oh, I, I used to say, if I have work from home, I'll take a nap every day. And it'd been a year and four months into the pandemic at this time. He said, I've worked from home that entire time. I've not taken one nap. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. but he has it, he can do it. So what's going on? And it's this, so you have to, in this environment, in our current culture, you have to build boundaries or there won't be any. Yeah. If, so I recommend people have, for example, a done for the day list. Mm. Uh, where you say, okay, it's not an endless to-do list. Most overachievers, you know, by the, they've got, they've got the, the to-do lists are longer by the end of the day than they are at the beginning. Mm. Um, and that will be true almost every day that they live. So that can't be the, 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 the right mechanism for, for ordering our lives. It's fine to have a long list, add to it all you want, but 
have a separate list, which is when I've done these things, I am done for today. There are a few essential things going to get them done when they're done. You know, we get to we get to say no more sneaky work after this. You know, the the, the work is done. Uh, So so I think a done for the day list helps as a boundary, a a time to be done for the day. Um, You know, I I chose 5 p.m. for that through the pandemic. And I would say 80 to 90 percent of the time I've kept that. Hmm. Uh, And the way I've done that is I had a fun accountability thing i was like a town crier walk yeah. out of the room and i would yell out to everyone it's, it's five o'clock you know whatever time it was I mean, you don't want to yell out it's five twenty-three if everyone knows it's five o'clock that your time is done and and that helped me to go okay well the, you, you have to prioritize differently you can't just say well one hour less sleep you can't say one hour less time with the family, one hour less time of rest and relaxation. You've got to actually prioritize what you do through the day because you've got a boundary at the end. And these are also vital because actually this, these are the mechanisms for making a higher contribution. Is that It's like a slingshot. You end, you rest. We're rhythmic beings. We're biological creatures. We need to have these cycles for top performance. So it's not like I've looked at back at the last year and a half and gone, well, you know, I mean, I kind of had to sacrifice on work there to have that boundary. It's been the opposite. It's been by far the most productive I've been in my adult life uh, because there's just clear boundaries uh, and and more rest than under the previous uh, the previous system. Mm. And I suppose once you start implementing those boundaries. I mean, it all sort of rolls around in itself. Like if you set a boundary at five o'clock um, and you set yourself a list, yeah, your list never ends. I've got a big list right next to me right now. Um, <laughs> and I, I know the few things on there that are important to me, that if I get done, great. I know the things that will probably be on the list tomorrow. And if they're on the list in a week, I'm probably going to go, well, they're not really that essential, are they? Because I haven't actually bothered to do them. Um, so maybe I can cross them off. And if you set a boundary at five o'clock, you're going to start doing those really important things that matter, that are essential, and those other things that aren't essential, you'd be going, you know what? It hasn't actually affected my performance. I'm actually performing better without doing them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, we, we need we need boundaries to be able to, you know, we, we have to, what boundaries do is admit that there are trade-offs, uh, you know, that, that, that you can't just do everything for everyone all of the time and, and, and expect that to be, you know, expect that to lead to peak performance. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, you, but by by setting by setting sensible limits, that's really to me the key to becoming relatively limitless. Uh, and and I don't, you know, I, I'm not beholden to the cultural stories that say otherwise. Uh, I, I'm going with the data. And the data is not, it, you know, is not, um, is not ambiguous about this. Hmm. Uh, the, the, the data is really clear. You've got to focus. You can only do a few things superbly well. Uh, you know, ac- academic work, for example, like writing a book. Um, you can't do seven, eight, ten hours a day at, at optimal level. You know, pretty much if you're doing concentrated deep work, you mm. sort of two or three hours max. Yeah. If you push beyond that, which you can, and I've done before, uh, you start reaching diminishing returns. So for each extra hour you put in, you're, you're getting less back. 
But it gets worse than that because if you go far enough, you get to negative returns where, you know, the, the manuscript I'm working on is worse for every extra hour I put in. Hmm. You know, I'm making the whole thing worse. I'm, but what's strange is that in the moment you think, oh, this is so good. I've got this new idea. Oh, let me just redo all these. Oh, let's change the whole structure of the book. Oh, let's do the whole. And you start undoing really good work because your discernment is that low. And so, and so it's like one of the most important principles for, for achieving breakthrough sustainable success is to have an upper bound to your work each day um, so, so that you say, you, you, even though you feel like doing 10 hours because you're so excited day one, you say, okay, no, I'm writing top three hours. It's over. Yeah. You know, leave it, move on. Um, so that the next day you say, okay, I've still got some energy to be able to work on it again. And then day three or four, you don't really feel like it. Uh, you've got other things you could do, but you say, well, it's not so much. I can do this. And so it's always having an upper or lower bound. Uh, maybe writing a book's a bit of a grandiose example. Everybody wants to do that. But, hmm. uh, but like, I know a lot of people want to write a journal and they make the same mistake. They say, oh, go well, I'm going to write. They write three pages day one. It takes them an hour. Uh, you know, and they don't have an hour in their schedule day two. So by day three, they're like trying to make up for day two. Uh, they're going to try and come up with two hours and they just don't have it. And so the, before they've begun, it's over. I give up. Hmm. Uh, and and my the breakthrough for me with journal keeping was when I said, okay, I need an upper and lower bound. A lower bound was one sentence a day, right? It's it's just, it's tiny, it's doable. You can do it in, you know, you could do it in 60 seconds if you need yeah. to. Yeah. Upper bound was the real breakthrough, though. It was saying no more than five sentences a day. Hmm. And when I put the upper bound in place, it meant that, of course, I could do five sentences, too. And day one, day two, of course, I feel like writing more. But that's what you want. You want to be able to be... You want to be done with something still in the tank. And I started that 10 and a half years ago. I'm pretty sure I haven't missed a day since then now. Uh, it's a pretty good guy. And, yeah, and, and I don't see that changing. You know, mm. so, you know, we'll talk again in 15 years, 20 years. I think it will just carry on. It's, it's built in now. But I, I, I think this is, you know, a lot of people, they, they're just – the, the curse of performance is intermittent activity. You go big for a moment. It's like boom and bust. You go big and then you give up for a long time. Then you go big and you give up. And, and so, and so it's so counter actual, you know, what top performers do. They're, 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 they're achieving within a certain range. Uh, and that, that, that upper bound, however counterintuitive that is, is necessary to be able to sustain and continue performance for, for the very long run. Yeah, it's that long-termism versus short-termism, isn't it, the focus there. Um, so. one, one really good point, I mean, out of this, I'm just listening to you speak, is, is that, that internal awareness. And, you know, I'm going back to the ping or the phone ringing while you're on holidays and you're picking it up. And, and I make a lot of calls in my industry. Um, and I get people constantly picking up the phone going, hang on, I'm at work. And I'm just like, well, you picked up the phone. You know, oh, hang on, I'm on holidays. Well, you picked up the phone, like, um, <laughs> you know, and, and I just think there's this there's this internal level of, of missing out on something. Yet, yet they feel like they they don't do it, they're going to miss out on something. And that's, for me, a, a very strong signal of a lack of internal awareness and uh, self-appreciation for, for what you do um, and, and a life that is without boundaries. Um, 
I started a podcast a year ago called the What's Essential Podcast, hmm. and one of the people I had on was Patrick McGuinness. Um, he's the he's the person who who coined the phrase uh, FOMO, uh, fear of missing out. Okay. So he's he you know so he's got some good bragging rights there because he, <laughs> he came up he came up with a word you know that now is in the dictionary, uh, and. And I mean, that's what I think you're talking about there is this this FOMO that we're operating out of fear or sometimes out of greed. But but, you know, just this fear of something else is going on and I'm going to miss something. And it, it and, and it, this, I think, is an illustration of how technology makes for a good servant, but a poor master. Um, mm. You know, you 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 want to be, technology has a great place. It could be a tremendous tool. Uh, including, uh, which I think has a mixed record, but including social media, I think it has a it has a, a powerful uh, part that it can play, uh, and I think it does play that part for about one percent of the population who uses it to create, to do something, to extend hmm. what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, but then there's sort of this the masses of people who are just on their, you know kind of mindlessly going through maybe they're engaging but and then the rest of people who are just silently observing and it's like th these are not all equal uses uh, we've we got to make sure that whatever time we're spending in technology it's in pursuit of something that's essential uh, you know not not just uh, something that's using us. Hmm. And it's not just the technology, even going back to your point before of setting those boundaries and, and knowing when, you know, we've done what's essential and what's not essential, can we can leave. But, you know, even even me, I can sort of think about some examples where I've sort of said, no, I need to do this because a part of me thinks if I don't do that, I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on that next opportunity, that next business, you know, relationship, whatever it might be. Um, and it's the same principles behind that. I feel like I'm going to miss out on something and perhaps I'm not internally connected enough to understand what's essential then and what's not. Well, it's certainly it's certainly a bit, certainly something that we need to pay attention to. Um, I just was chatting with the author of a, a new book called Wanting and he, he was talking about um, mimetic uh, desire, uh, which is that, that as humans – this is it's such a clever point he makes. He said, he said, for for many of us, because mimetic is just just observational, right? That we are mimicking what other people do, and 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 because we are inherently mimetic as humans, what happens is that sometimes we want things just because we believe other people want things. Yeah. It's not even that they have them and we want them. It's like we just think we believe. Well, if I have this. That would be great because I think that's what everybody else wants. Instead of, like, really, do I do I want this? Is this is this important? Uh, and and being able to to take a moment to get clearer to know, really, how I'd say it this way: how, which what voice I'm listening to? Hmm. Am I am I listening to this, you know, fear of missing out? It's like a scared voice. Um, versus a friend of mine says we, we need to listen to the sacred voice, not the scared voice. And I like that yeah. the similarity of those words, and and to be able to just get quiet, uh, you know, every so often, maybe 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 every day, just taking a few minutes. Um, um, I didn't do it today, and I can feel the difference all day. But most days, I'll get up and and sort of do journal and do, I mean, you know, reading wisdom literature and scripture, and even you know, 
take a moment, meditate, pray. Yeah. And I can feel the difference yeah. all day long when I do that. Mm. And, and this is a painting in my office, my favorite painting. It's called the listener. Yeah. Image of a, of a person who's, he's got his eyes closed cause you can't show listening in a, in a portrait, but he's his eyes closed to, to show he's listening and he's got all these voices around him, all these people, he's got family members and people in history and all this noise around him. And, and the idea is that he's trying to get in touch with that, you know, that quieter voice inside that somehow seems to know what really matters. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I mean, see, Steve Jobs talked about it too, you know, that, that if you listen to that intuition or whatever the word is we want to call it, it seems to know. Mm. And, and it's that sort of seeming to know rather than just guessing about what other people seem to want or, or rushing around because everyone else is rushing around that helps us discover a different path, a different way to do life that isn't so fear-driven uh, that isn't so anxious, that, that isn't pulled in so many different directions. It's a calmer impulse. Uh, and, and it makes, to my estimation anyway, it's like the, it's the, it's the most important thing in all of life, literally. Yeah. Um, you know, from, for, for Anna and I, our goal with our children, literally our written goal is, is to help them to feel, recognize, and follow that voice of conscience. Yeah. Because what we believe is that, you know, they're all teenagers now, but we started this when they were very young. We basically believe that once that happens, the fundamental job of parenting is done. Uh, it's, you know, that's the job. Hmm. That's right. And, and guided by something better than, than whatever happens to be popular or something better than what what is just the normal culture around them that mm, they, they have to so be true. internal to 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 be led by and whether it's teenagers or whether it's adults i think it's still the same thing to keep coming back to mm. and i think that's for me i guess where this all starts essentialism um perhaps effortless as well but um from that grounding that internal grounding and self-awareness um I mean, is that where you help people start with essentialism because i don't see essentialism as a a hack you know or life hack yeah. or anything like that i think it's more of a philosophy a way to live life and i think that means uh, you know any way to live life is a life that's um, very self-aware uh, yes i think that is the, the the place to begin um is is really in in a, in a kind of what i would call deep listening hmm. um that that at first i think you have to do it yourself you have to develop deep listening within yourself so that you can discern the difference between these voices. It's a practice. It's not something you do once and then you've got it down. It's just you keep coming back to it. But then it evolves even from there where you start to say, well, what if I could learn to listen to other people around me in order to help them hear that voice hmm. within themselves instead of me being another loud voice telling them what to do and telling them how to do it, and when to do it and so on, that 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 your job is to create space for them and safety for them and to listen to them so deeply that they can feel safe to hear their sacred voice and not to be just bossed around by you either. It, it's to me, it is this a golden thread running through essentialism and now effortless, uh, and, and into um, working on a new book and into the, into the new work as well. It's like, this is the, this is really the core. Uh, in fact, I ended effortless with, with a, a personal story that goes to the heart of what you're asking. Uh, it was when one of my daughters became suddenly very 
ill indeed with um, what turned out to be a neurological disease. Uh, she went from the picture of health full of light and animation of humor and energy. She's on a rock climbing team and she's funny and she's engaging and all of that, everything you'd want. Mm. Uh, and then she just started going slower and slower and slower to the point that she could barely write her own name. Uh, it took her fully two minutes, like 120 seconds to write her own name. Uh, it's exceedingly slow. She mm. became more and more comatose to the point that she was going to fall into a coma and die uh, without intervention. And yet no neurologist that we spoke with, and we spoke with you know more than one, of course, um, could give us even the beginning of what was going on. They just shrugged their shoulders at, at us. Yeah. And so this is the stuff that agony can be made of. And it was this sort of moment where, where I discovered more clearly than anything else in my life that there are two paths in life. One is the heavier, harder path where you're trying to control everything and do everything that you possibly could ever think of uh, or anyone's recommending you do to try and help our daughter. Or you get quiet and you, you, you get rid of that anxiety. You get out of the scared self and into the sacred self and you, and, and you start to feel and be guided into what can actually help. Uh, and we found singing together and laughing together and playing together was necessary to put off this anxiety and all of that fear uh, and, and, and to suddenly be able to feel, okay, this is the next step. This is what we do next. This is the one next right step and let's go for it. Hmm. And, and that was key to her eventual diagnosis and, and uh, wow. treatment. It's a two and a half year journey. As of now, she's doing really, really well again. Um, but, at a very key moment before we had any success, I remember a, you know, a, uh, what else can I call it? But like a, a part of the sacred voice, but something said to me, it was probably the, the worst moment, the whole thing for me is just, there's no answers and I'm just losing her. Well, I've lost her. She's her personality's gone and no one can tell you anything about why. And the feeling that came to me in the midst of that, uh, as I was going through that kind of meditative, prayerful state, was she will find what is lost, hmm. and that—that's the name of my, you know, I guess my second favorite painting. I suppose now it's a beautiful painting, and we have it in our home already. But that phrase, of course, took on new meaning, and that calmed us down, and it gave us something to trust in instead of all the noise around us that would have distracted us and could have, I think, demoralized us, depressed us, you know, almost destroyed us, could have imagined it destroying marriage, family, culture, everything. For sure. And then, of course, then, of course, being in, you know, that's not the state um, to be able to help your daughter, right? So it, it all becomes a downward spiral. But instead, uh, that, that, that assurance and sense helped us to remain positive and hopeful and grateful uh, and that in turn helped us to discern the right paths uh, that ended up helping her, you know, actually, actually find what was lost. Mm. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think that I do think that that's the commonality uh, is to be able to learn to listen mm. ourselves and then to learn to listen uh, to others sort of to the level that they can listen to that voice themselves. There's not yeah. a lot of that in today's modern world. No, not at all. And I, I think that's just a, a great way to wrap it up. I think that's a great way to, um, you know, start this this inner journey that will will lead to a life that's more essential and, and more uh, fulfilling and um, hopefully happier as well. 
Yeah. Um, I, I will stick the links uh, in the show notes, guys, listening out there um, to the books so you can pick up the books and have a read and, and get a bit more involved in this topic of conversation. Um, I do have a few questions for you now, if you've got a, a couple of minutes, Greg. Yeah, let's um, do it. I know you've talked about routines and rituals that you have already, but is there one particular routine that you do daily that um, really helps contribute to your success? Um, I think one of the um, – I, I would say that that morning, that morning routine on the days I do it, which is most days, of getting really deep – so that you can feel almost a revelatory force in your life um, be, rather than a reactive force. So before you're getting into email and living out of your inbox, that that time is so yeah. uh, cumulative yeah. mm. uh, in, in its force. So I think that still is what I would say the, the essential habit. Yeah, nice. How do you define success? Um. I mean, I think that success is doing what I came here to do. Uh, so it's it's with a, the deepest convictions of my life that life is a mission, not a career, that life has purpose independent of my choosing. Hmm. And my job is to detect that and to pursue it uh, and, to, and, to, and to achieve it. Uh, to me, that is success. The, uh, if, if you did everything else in life and you didn't achieve that, I think I think that would not be success. Yeah, I like that. Um, what advice would you give your twenty-year-old self? Uh, I've thought actually quite a lot about that question, mm. um, and I would just say it all works out and better than you think. And. It, and what's powerful to me about it is that it really literally is the same advice I really do need today. And it's like just every day. It's just things will work out yeah. better than you think. Uh, and and I, I think I think that's worth no, holding on to for the rest of us. Coming from that sacred place rather than scared place again, isn't it? That's what it is. Do you um, have one tool, skill or resource that you use to help improve your overall productivity? I mean, I would say that um, particularly in the pandemic, I started a habit that we now have carried on even as the pandemic is easing here in the US. Um, and that's going for a walk with my wife. Um, mm. we, don't, we, we don't do it now every day, but there was a time we were doing it almost every day and we did it this morning. And, and any day I miss that, I miss it um, because, because it's just so helpful to get aligned and so helpful to be able to you know, some some days when we first did it, to be honest, it, it wasn't it wasn't very easy. It wasn't even very fun some days because we what are we doing here? Are we trying to are we problem solving together? Are we are we you know, <laughs> things can get quite emotional? It wasn't like a piece of cake at first, but as we carried on and it found its own norms, its own ways of being, it became what 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 I was describing before a chance that typically one or the other of us will 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 end up sharing more on a particular day. Um, but, but will it's a chance to be heard. Mm. So not just so that you feel validated, which is nothing wrong with that, but it's beyond validation to the point that you start to go, Oh, I think this is the right next thing. I think this is the right path that we should be on. You know, this isn't, this surprises me, but I think this is what it is. And, and slowly it's allowed us to get more and more aligned mm. to go from sometimes feeling quite lost in life. 
to feeling like, yeah, this is the right path. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And I don't think there's anything better than that. So to me, uh, maybe it's not the kind of tool you'd normally have people answer, but it is the kind of tool that, that it is still its own kind of tool and practice. Mm. Um, I like it. I like it. I've just started walking at night, and I, I really uh, am enjoying it so far. Yeah. The um, If you were to be served your last meal, what would you request? Uh, fish and chips. Yeah, nice. Pro- proper fish and chips. Proper. Not, uh, not, not California style. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> what activity gives you the greatest sense of joy? Um, I would say, I would, I was going to say, oh, that's, that's, there's a few answers that are hmm. rolling around for me. Um, I think when I'm in service of my children, uh, when I'm really like just present for them, Hmm. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes we, I mean, I'll, I'll take my ch- a child with me whenever I travel. So about 85, 80% of the time I'll have one of my children with me. Yeah. And I love that. We have great experiences. But, but I mean going and playing on the foosball table uh, with, my, with my son. And then, and then that this, is, this just happened a couple of days ago. And, and then we were chatting. And then we got sat down and we had a chat for like an hour. And he's a teenager now. And so that's... That's pretty precious stuff mm. to really just be able to talk and listen and even counsel together. And we got to talk about things that were really important. Like mm. it needed to be he and I talking about it. It was a, it was important. You know, when I come to write my journal at the end of the day and think about what I'm grateful for, you know, that's the stuff that counts. And especially if you go back and read journals over like a year, 10 years before Man, loads of the stuff that you were grateful for on the day doesn't even matter anymore. But those kinds of moments stand out and mm. you go, yeah, that, that really matters. That's like 10 times more important than the other entries on the day. That's a moment, yeah. Do you have a, a particular book that you'd pass down to your children, other than your own, of course? No, I, de- <laughs> I wouldn't put essentialism and effortless on the Like if they could read absolutely anything, um, I've thought about lots of. I think I, my children read a lot now. Hmm. Uh, my eldest, who just go off to university, I said you should write down all the books you've read. You know, in your teenager years, and she she did, and she stopped when she got to two hundred, and it's a lot more than I'd read at the time, um, and you know, at that age, and. And so there's there is a there's a lot to choose from now. Um, you know, I'm like staring at my at my library right now. I know I'm being, being too. I'm not I'm not. This, I, I should, you're asking for like a rapid fire, and I'm I'm making it <laughs> the opposite of that. These are very hard questions. As I ask them, and I often reflect and go, "Geez, could I answer that question myself?" Um, and often, no, the answer would be without thinking about it. But um. there's, a, there's a really beautiful book that maybe people haven't heard, but it's by Stephen Covey. It's called The Divine Center. That is a, that's a really powerful book. Um, that's one that I would recommend. That, that was sort of the deeper thinking that he did 
you know, Seven Habits was what he was famous for, but but the Divine Center is what he felt was his most important work. Uh, that that's you know that's something that I stare up here and I think yeah if I could just give one of these books that that would be among them. So what's that title called, again? It's called The Divine Center. Okay. And um, I mean it's an unapologetically religious book. It's a Christian book, um, so people know what they're getting. Um, another book I stare up here is a book called Bonds That Make Us Free. Uh, by Terry C. Werner, uh, Warner, excuse me. Uh, that's quite a thick read, quite a heavy read, uh, but you won't come away unchanged. You would changed if you read that book. Hmm. I certainly was. Um, about removing all these, all this mental clutter that makes relationships so difficult. Um, we get trapped. We get trapped in these relation these relationship cycles where we think it's that either they are the problem, the other person's a problem, or I'm the problem. He, he calls it like the I'm a monster, they're a monster problem. Uh, and, and the discovery is that there is no monster. That's mm. the breakthrough. As you go, no, no. And, but, but there's a certain cycle. I'm going, I haven't talked about this for years, but, but the, the cycle is basically that we feel we feel bad or we we something happens or we act maybe out of out of conscience you know like not we we violate conscience in some way and in that moment two monsters are born we are a monster they are a monster and we then get trapped for the longest time we're pointing fingers well it must be them they you know i feel miserable it must be them and of course as soon as you start pointing a finger like that you're trapped because you say, well, what if they're not a monster? What kind of a monster would point at someone else and say they are a monster? Hmm. So maybe I'm the monster. And so both monsters are created in the same moment of, of conscience violation. Hmm. Uh, and, and so the, it's the truth will set you free type of message. It's, it's, it's that you suddenly discover, okay, well, I made this mistake. It's a small thing. Hmm. We admit it. I've held on to this grudge. I've done this thing. And as soon as we we accept that we're like liberated that moment yeah. and relationships completely transformed by, by following that and not, wouldn't not even having to talk about it with them. Mm. Just different. The second from the moment that I made the discovery, it was like, Oh, okay. I don't need to accuse anyone anymore. And I don't have to feel self accusing and, and shame either. This is okay. Go. Move forward. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, couple of strong recommendations there anyway greg i appreciate it the um how can people best reach out to you greg where can they find you um you know if if people find this sort of thing good and interesting they should sign up for the newsletter at greg um that that um we do a one i write a one minute wednesday which is a very short thing that helps to try and keep us on track and in you know in the right way uh, oriented in the world towards what matters most. Um, and if they want to go beyond that, they, they could go to essentialism.com uh, uh, where there's a 21-day challenge. People can take small micro adjustments they can make to try and make the essential things more effortless in their lives. Uh, I think those are two two places to begin. Good places. I'll stick those in the show notes uh, for everyone out there. Mate, really enjoyed this conversation today. Thank you. Lee, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, guys out there, check it out, thehiddenlight.com. All the show notes links will be in there. So um, have a look there and uh, reach out to Greg and make sure you pick up a, a book, Effortless, uh, a great read. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening, everyone. 
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon